Dear Church Podcast. I always have a prepared um, direction or something I'm going to say. And this one, I'm not so much. So I'm going to watch you guys talk and then interject. So you're going to wing it? King of wing. <laughs> There's a lot of preachers that wing it. They, oh, they just, yeah. yeah. Don't get me started. You know what doesn't yep. help is you've got the likes of Spurgeon. And I saw his quote recently. I've seen it before. I know. That he it says he help. never knows like 24 hours before he's going to preach what he's going to preach on. However, he was a genius. I know. Yeah, like, exactly. And guys use it for was, cover. Spurgeon was Spurgeon. Yeah. And there's very right. few individuals who can pull that off in the same way. Well, what what you've, you've all read about how he studied, right? Like, you know, he would, I guess at Saturday at noon, he'd have a bunch of people over for lunch. He'd stay for a half hour. He'd dismiss himself. And then he would go study like 10 different commentaries plus his text extensively. And he would stay up till midnight writing his sermon. He'd read it to his wife. His wife would give, give commentary on it and all that. And they worked together. I mean, it's pretty neat, but it's unique. I, th- I thought I heard about Spurgeon. He did what he called fill the well. And like all week he would study, fill the well, fill the well. And then Saturday he would write it out. Um, well, I think that's part of the concept of the phrase preach yeah. from the overflow, which I think is a very good phrase. Yeah. yeah. But it's a, but he's a lot like, you know, uh, like a lot of pastors who have large ministries and, and far reaching ministries. He, he preached about five times a week. Mm. That's what I was going to say. The more you preach, I think the more you can preach because you start pulling from your different um, experiences. And so you teach a couple of classes in a Bible school. You do a, you know, obviously he wasn't on the radio, but he would write articles and things. And the more of that you do, yeah, pulling that together for a Sunday morning, it, it all filters into it. I, I agree with that completely because after how many decades of pastoring now you dig a well and that well gives good water for a long time if you yeah, well, dig it, and if, as the youngest you pastor job. here by the way i'll 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 affirm what you just said and say that one of the things that i'm doing is trying to at some point in the week we still have the the three service format as as do you guys but usually wednesday nights we will take a whole year and go through ephesians a whole year and go through mm-hmm. romans and part of that is because i believe that's helpful to our church part of that is because it's helpful to me because in five years, I can go back to that well yes, with some yes, familiarity absolutely. and it helps me so much. I've done that not yeah. just with books, but with subjects. And it's really helped me to pick a subject in the Bible or a topic and study it, um, whether it's faith or grace or standards or holiness or alcohol mm-hmm. or, you know, sanctification or something. It, it when, I, when I I did a series 19 weeks long on suffering last year, and it really, you know, I put a whole lot of time in prep. I prepped that thing for a couple of years and that will stay with me a long time, which will then leaven you, you the sermons I preach going forward. You put a lot of that on your blog, right? Like, I, I mean, I've, I've read your blog extensively, if I do say so myself. Um, and what did you write on neat. today? Uh, uh, preferences. I would prefer not to bring it up. Um, <laughs> should we, should we tell prefer the that? secret that we have require, required reading as a as a podcast crew, Tom requires we read his blogs or yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's actually, that's actually a joke. They yeah. don't be totally transparent. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm filling the well as much as filling a squirt gun, you know, compared to Spurgeon and stuff. Uh, well, everybody compared to Spurgeon's that way, but yeah. you know, you can reuse things, repackage them. And it's, that's a terrible way to phrase it. There's a more elegant way to phrase it, but you can, you can take the same teaching and in a different setting, um, reiterate it. 
I've spent hundreds of hours with my children at our dining room table teaching them systematic theology and hermeneutics and the history of fundamentalism and stuff like that. And all that is stuff I taught in other places, but I just, I, you know, you just use it in a different format and it, it's, it's still good stuff. And but that's yeah, why that you haven't, mom. that's why you haven't shown up on bad preacher clips yet. Or have I you? Did, I did once. Has, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't was even taken, a bad clip. He was taken wildly out of context. It was a bad, it was a bad sweater though. He had like a cardigan <laughs> sweater on it. Hashtag it was jealousy. Very, <laughs> you guys uh, ever think about your Sunday sermons and, and you're and thinking, you know, like, okay, I wonder if this is going on there. You know, I I don't know. No, because I don't stream them. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, we do. I made it onto there once. And <laughs> oh, well, I, you I know, you also a, got the purple lights. So, you know. Hey, easy now. Easy. Easy. Steve, Steve you been on there? <laughs> touchy subject. <laughs> I've, I haven't been on bad sermon clips. I was on IFB sermon clips. It was uh, a Same clip difference. of me. That was a good. That was a good sermon you preached too. That, uh, that yeah, was I know. It was a very. Yeah. I actually shared shared it. So well, yeah. I remember Steve was Steve. Yeah, Steve's yours was good enough to share. Like, okay, cool. Tom's was so it was taken so wildly out of context. And it was so obvious, and then the whole excuse came up of, well, we just posted what he said, and I'm like, exactly, and you misrepresented what he said. And that turned into a big uh, Twitter discussion that I think, you know, Steve, you went to you went to like nuclear war with uh, with that guy on that, which is that happens yeah. about every 48, 72 hours. Right. So, I mean, it's it's going to into an extensive I'm, discussion with him on on YouTube about Tom's clip. And we were going backwards and forwards and eventually he blocked me from all of his accounts. And so <laughs> it's like with a lot of these anonymous accounts, whether it's Twitter, mm -hmm. YouTube or whatever, accountability only flows one way. Yep. Agreed. Well, I will say this, though. IFB sermon clips and bad sermon clips most likely are women. So that's, that's <laughs> been my research. But I don't think my I'm not even I'm you not may even be right, joking. but that has that has nothing. To, you may be correct, but that has nothing to do with the root of my objection. to. Oh, them. no, I, I would just. Hey, this yes, is 2022. Steve. I'm just trying to have us use the right pronouns. <laughs> I would I mean, like to distance myself use, from use the any right uh, comments that Steve is making Steve right might now. be about to how, make about why he thinks it's a woman. <laughs> well, no, okay, I'm, not, so. I'm not disparaging the fact that they're women that are doing it. I'm just saying use their pronoun. Okay, so moving on. The with that, you know, there is some something to be said about how far-reaching. Like I think uh, big, you know, major leaders of the of the SBC have retweeted them. Um, you know, all kinds of things. I read an article though recently, I posted it on Twitter and it got some interesting, it was, a uh, by, okay, I'll admit it was not, it was not by an independent Baptist and it was uh, from someone that I probably disagree with on a lot of things, but I very, very much agreed with the conclusion that he came to that those kind of accounts are actually more harmful than they are helpful, regardless of amen. what anyone may say. Amen. 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 It's, mm -hmm. it's the spirit of it and the intent of it. Um, and the result of it, it, there's nothing wrong with setting a standard for what good preaching is and what bad preaching is. And I think that's what we're trying to do in this discussion to help with that, not just for pastors, but for, for anybody who preaches, which is Sunday school teachers, junior church preachers, you know, just to, to help set the standard for what good preaching is and bad preaching is to emphasize and explain it. It's also not wrong to call out bad preaching. I mean, I'm the guy who wrote a book and has a whole chapter in schizophrenic about what bad preaching is. Mm -hmm. But there's something about when that is all you do and your entire basis is to criticize and to attack. And it's 
it's a very apparent from watching that you pull people out of context and you don't give other context around it and you just do mm-hmm. it to make them look bad or make a movement look bad. There's nothing edifying in that. But they say they would t- say that you're not correct in your um, in your analysis of it. Okay, well, they have the right to be wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I knew, you know, I mean, okay, let me ask you this, though. So there's there's not only bad preacher clips that basically focuses on independent Baptist preachers, but there's also woke woke sermon clips. Um, are we are we being inconsistent by sharing that and and marketing well, that as well? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it, it's one thing to take. You know, the Bible says to judge a man on his actions, on his fruit, and on his speech, right? But that has to be done in context. And I think any time you take a preacher, I don't care who the preacher is, Martin Luther King, I got issues with him, with lots of things. You can take clips out of his speeches and make him, you know, look a certain way. Anytime you lift something out of his context, and this is hilarious to me, because the greatest point of preaching is to preach it in context. And they're going to attack bad preaching by lifting it out of context. I don't care who you're analyzing in their preaching, it has to remain in context to be a fair estimation. And I I believe that context is more than just even the sermon. And you're right. um, I'm probably the least against those websites or those, those accounts. I'm the least of this group against those because I think it does expose some things that need to be exposed, but you got to remember, you got the context of a life and a whole ministry. Mm -hmm. And I'm bothered Anytime I've had some really good friends of mine that are really good men have clips put on there that, you know, it's out of the context of the message and then the life and then the setting, you know, who is it even being spoken to? And maybe they're getting really specific because people want specifics and they want help. And yeah, it's it's disturbing in that aspect. And I think it is. It is. It is something probably we should do less, not more of, for sure. So, Martin, you're being awful quiet over there, and I wonder if that's because your perspective is a little different, and that's because we all follow each other on Twitter. And recently, <laughs> you had a little dust up. I, I, I want to hear your your take on it because I, you know, it's okay if we all differ a little bit on this. You have the right to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's that's your preference. <laughs> no, I, I would say that. Um, and, and we're mentioning preferences because of uh, Tom Brennan's blog post of, of late. So that, that's where this is coming from. No, I would say that there are certainly bad sermons and bad sermon, uh, you know, topics or whatever that it's good for people to be aware of. Mm-hmm. However, these accounts that are constantly just making a mockery of things. Right. Um, it's, it's just not the biblical approach. I think it's the wrong way. And, they tend to be the same six or seven preachers on a constant cycle. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's highlighting the same, you know, so-called bad sermon just preached in a different place. There's no <laughs> new information coming out. Um, you know, everyone is, you know, the information is out there. And so they're not trying to promote their good. They just like to mock. And, you know, the, it, it's, it's not the biblical way. It's not the most effective way of doing things. So they're, they're, what you're saying is they're cultivating a culture of criticism. If I do alliterate, then this is a sermon. This is a sermon podcast, right? So I have to alliterate. <laughs> That's it. Go to alliterate all your points. I yeah. did a series in my church in Chicago about Stephen Anderson. He was a huge problem for me in Chicago. And so I, I, I decided to inoculate my church by just discussing him for about three weeks on a Wednesday night. I read every blog post he'd ever written. 
I I looked at every public Facebook post of his I could find. I I listened to hours of his preaching. If I was going to tag the guy, I wanted to do it in context. And I think, you know, they would respond. So the Sermon Close people would respond and say, well, we've done that with the IFB movement and it's awful and we're just showing you what it is. But it's so entirely unbalanced because again Mm -hmm. and again and again, we see that they take good men who all of us say dumb things sometimes in sermons. All of us say things that are perfectly fine that would sound dumb if you just take a snippet of it. And it, it's that, that's what they're missing is all of that other context in the sermon and in the life, as Brother Brudnack so well pointed out. What do you say, though, to, to when their, their comeback there is a, is a scripture reference that says, you know, mark and avoid. And to see, Tom, what you did with Stephen Anderson in your church, I have zero problem with because you're the pastor. It's a local church issue and you dealt with it honestly and you dealt with it comprehensively. But you can't do that in a two minute Twitter clip. And then don't do it. If you can't yeah. do it, if you can't do it biblically to edify, if I can't edify, if I can't build up, I mean, I did a whole blog series about the about the neo independent Baptist movement, and again, it, it, it I'm, I'm essentially tagging one man and going after one man essentially, or you know, one movement, and and to write against something, but but you've got to do it with context. If you can't do it with context and fairly, I mean, I gave Josh Tice a whole blog post on MySpace to respond to it, and he did. I appreciate that about him. He and I talked about it for an hour before I ever started it. You know, if you can't give that context and that fairness, then you're not being, I don't think you're being gracious and charitable, let alone accurate. So let's let's give a little bit of uh, a little bit of credit. Okay. Before I do that, actually, I've had people tell me that it's okay for the bad sermon clips to do things. And if they're not perfect at it, or if they're out of line a little bit, you know, well, what about all those preachers that are out of line? And so it's like this kind of excuse of they did it first. And so we're going to retaliate. And I don't and agree with how, that. Right. That, that's not how you show it's bad. Right. And I would say it's one thing to highlight the bad, but it's, they're not providing the right solution or the best solution. You know, that's, that's simply mm-hmm. not what's, what's going on there. What is the right solution? I think I know. I, I didn't ask this in advance, so but I think I know what we're going to say. And uh, I think the right solution leads is our, podca- our podcast discussion. This will be the solution right here. <laughs> That's yeah, it. There we go. They can, Uh-oh. Yeah, and I there, think it's highlighting the right. You know, it's saying this is yes. what is right. It's putting up two minutes of a good sermon. You know, that edifies. Yeah. And yeah, there are times when we need to call out the wrong. But if you only call out the wrong, that's going to engender a spirit of bitterness and arrogance. And that's what we see with so many of those guys. But controversy like it's, sells it's good, good once in a while. don't spread. It's good once in a while to drop a Greg Locke clip, right? Is that what you're saying? Once in 41 years. <laughs> I actually don't uh, no, disagree I'm, with Martin. I'm, I'm and and on once that. was I, enough I was just... because what he said in that one clip revealed Uh-oh. the kind of man he was. And the kind, you know, so... You know, once every now and again is, you know, a world of difference. To me, that's a different issue in the sense of what is your ministry consist of? Are you are you edifying? Are you teaching? Are you instructing? Are you giving out knowledge and wisdom and understanding and and talking about Jesus? Or is your whole ministry just about tearing down? Mm -hmm. It's, It's not just sermon clips. There are other guys who have built entire ministries on tearing other people down. And how yeah, and often do you have to mark a person before they're marked? You know, if you're meant to call out someone who's in <laughs> yeah, error, right. like how many times do you do it before they're, you know, called out? At what point does it become cancel culture? You know, oh, yeah. And, and we could, you know, again, there's probably enough blame to go around on both sides with stuff like this. And so, you know, let's be, be somewhat honest about that if we could. Now, okay, so I was going to go a little further than you, Martin, mm-hmm. and say that 
I think the answer is more than just posting good sermon clips. I think the answer is preaching good sermons, Amen. preaching biblical, a, a good homiletic and a good hermeneutic Amen. combined. And then what you end up doing is you end up inoculating your church, um, the oh, people yeah. over whom God has given you the oversight as an under shepherd. And going forward with that, my goodness, um, that's what we want. And so when people come in and they preach a sermon, your people go, oh, yeah, that's not, I don't have an appetite for that, Lord willing, and hopefully that's the result. So I guess the, the conversation naturally flows then into good preaching, biblical preaching. And uh, I thought it might be a little helpful if we all shared a little bit of, of our, our history of who's influenced us or how we were influenced in our preaching journey, because we're not perfect, but we strive for a biblical hermeneutic and an appropriate homiletic to be able to deliver a sermon that God can use, because if God doesn't use it, it's in vain. I'll say that my preaching is very different than it was when I started pastoring in 1997. Um, I, I, I came out of college thinking that the best way to preach was to be interesting. You had to give one great truth a subject, a, a sermon, and you take a line from the Bible that essentially alludes to that truth, and then you preach something that will absolutely mesmerize people and they'll walk away with. And what really changed me, the Lord, of course, grows you over time, but I went to a, a pastor's college week um, at Crown College with Brother Sexton in the early 2000s. And it was on the subject of hermeneutics, and I didn't have a class on hermeneutics in college, which is a which is a travesty in hindsight. I've said that before. But he just – and it shouldn't have been revolutionary to me, but it was. He just hammered again and again, your job is to preach the text. It's not to give your opinion or your philosophy or your ideas. It's your job is to, is to present what God said. That changed my preaching enormously, tra- changed the tra- trajectory of my ministry. Um, I really appreciate that. It, it, it's helped lots of people. I would say I would say my history would go to, um, you know, preach the word was my train. My pastor was expository. My pastor loved Spurgeon and he would expositorily preach the word of God. And then John Getch had a great influence on my life. And I mean, he has a, a message where all he does is quote scripture, the whole message. And what I teach young preachers and what I say about preaching is preaching should be from and filled with the word of God. And Amen. I'm Amen. not an expository only guy. In fact, um, I sometimes get a bit of chip on my shoulder about expository um, zealots and I'm zealously expository. But I, I call expository zealots these guys that act as if you can never like apply the Bible, it feels like. Amen. Steve, was there a particular, I know you said your pastor was expository that, Im, that impacted you, but was there like a, a particular moment maybe, or a time period in your life where you really came to a decision of how you wanted to pursue uh, a future in biblical preaching? Really, it was the influence of him. And like I mentioned, John Getch and my pastor was David Cummins. He's now in heaven, but yeah, it, it, it was just, my thought was always what who cares what I have to say? Let it be the word of God. And, you know, Pastor Brian Tannis had a huge impact on my life. And he'd always say, brother, just get up there and preach and shut up and don't, you know, like, well, I, like I, this guy. I get, yeah, I get nervous though. <laughs> I mean, when I get up to like, do like the thank yous and all of that, Pastor Brian used to always say, don't even do that. Just get up and, you know, deliver your text and get to preaching. And, 
you know, and there is a, there is a time and place where you mention thank yous and things like that. But every time I'm doing that, I hear that little voice in the back of my head, shut up, Brudneck, and just preach. And you know. <laughs> Do you think there's a difference in how preaching was done generally in England versus here, how it's, how it's you know, viewed or processed? I guess that depends. I, I think the, the preaching style in England tends to be a lot more subdued. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a culture of preaching here in the States and I, I had to learn that different isn't always wrong. So I want to kind of preface what I'm about to say with that, but there are some preaching styles here in the States that you would only tend to see in like hyper charismatic circles in England. Um, hmm. just kind of a level of emotionalism and excitement and shouting and, you know, different things going on that, you know, th- there are churches I know that are good churches where they they lean that way. Um, but you would not see that in, you know, the churches I would have been a part of in, in England. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's I a cultural thing to some degree. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think... I think all of us come from different backgrounds. I was I was raised under the preaching of my grandfather. My grandfather has he and he'll say this, so I'm not saying anything he wouldn't say. Uh, but he says, you know, I'm a I'm a country boy from the coal mines of Kentucky with a sixth grade education, and God used him to pastor our church here for 42 years. Amen. Um, he obviously, um, you know, he had, a, he had a great impact, and and in, in areas other than preaching, by the way, music being one of them. But he was a country preacher. Um, there were illustrations, there were stories, and there was for sure always um, a, he knew, he knew what he was doing when he got into that pulpit. It was take the Bible, open the Bible. He probably wasn't defined as expository by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm okay with that. That did not wound me. That didn't injure me. That didn't, you know, uh, that wasn't a detriment to my spiritual growth. Um, He gave me the tools that I needed. Now, I preach I try uh, to preach. Someone asked me the other day, actually, they said, what's your favorite preaching style? And I was like, "Um, probably expository preaching with a topical feel. And they're like, huh? I go, yeah. I said, you know, because of something that Steve said, which I think maybe is a conversation for a little later on in the podcast, but I, I like it when the, when biblical application is made that helps me to apply the text in my own personal life. You know, I want to answer the question, so what? And so when I preach, I strive for that. I don't always succeed at that. My goodness, I, I get out of the pulpit more often than not and think, oh man, oh boy, you know, could have done better. Um, but that's kind of where I'm looking. So maybe that, maybe we could talk a little bit about the preaching styles as are defined by a lot of people as topical, textual, or expository and find out where we're all at on that. Well, I would say to, you know, you said about your grandfather's style of preaching. I think that was very much where my pastor was coming from. And, you know, he grew up in Northeast Georgia. I've mentioned that several times. The older I get, the more respect and appreciation I have for him. But he was a country preacher. And his sermon illustrations were from the country, the mountains. Um, And, you know, he would have preached the truth. He would have preached the word, but um, it would have been, you know, much more leaning towards, you know, a lot of illustrations and stories and less what some people today would say is, is you know, the purely expository uh, method. And it's what I've heard some people refer to, and it tends to be derogatory. They would call it a skyscraper sermon because it was one story after another. Yeah. But I think that does an injustice to 
that style of preacher. And again, the older I get, the the more I value, because I'll look back over old notes I took from his sermons, and it just amazes me how much truth he did teach. And it was a different style, but he taught the word. And I mean, we all agree with this because I'm about to quote the Bible, but the Bible, I mean, it says preach the word. Um, I know a lot of guys read into that, that it's expository only, but when you preach topically correctly, that's still, that's still preaching the word. In fact, if you study systematic theology, that is topical sermons. Those are, you know, you're looking at a doctrine throughout the Bible. And, you know, one thing that kind of sculpts me in the way I think of as I preach, and I'm not saying this verse always comes to my mind, but in 1 John 1.10, it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And that verse is talking about somebody basically saying, you're saying I sinned, you know, and you're, and when you say that you're calling God a liar, if it's his word that's coming at you. And, and I think of it this way, good preaching that affects me. And if I'm going to be a good preacher, I'm taking the word of God and I'm hedging people in to help them with their sin that they want to hang on to because preaching against sin isn't a problem that, that so, so that it's at the point where in order for them to say that's not sin, they're calling God a liar and they're rejecting the word of God because that's going to make a difference. Not some emotional story, not that an emotional story can't sometimes illustrate something, Mm -hmm. but it's that the word of God is what's hitting the mark. The word of God is what's being preached. And that's what's getting to the mind and heart of the people listening. And to be fair to those who who would say, you know, that they they're exclusively expository in their preaching. I used to be I used to be under the impression that expository preaching was you had to start in Genesis and go verse by verse all the way through the text. You you couldn't stop. I mean, next chapter or next verse, next chapter, next page, next line. And I applaud, let me put it this way. I applaud men who do that and do it well. I really really do. But I found that I can still preach expository and I should preach expository even when I'm preaching a topical thought. Because if, again, Steve, your point is 100% correct. If I take my topical instruction uh, out of context in the in the scripture, then I do my people a disservice and I do the, I do the word of God a disservice. I do the Lord a disservice. Well, I would just, uh, you know, share one more thing kind of in my like development to kind of what brought me to where I am. So I grew up under that style of preaching you know, um, very much a country style. And I was listening to a sermon by Bob Jones Sr. recently, and I could hear my pastor um, (laughs) in in little things Mm. that he was saying, and I I loved it. Um, But when I went to Bible college, I went to a college where, you know, very strict expository preaching, and I think it will be good for us to define terms in, in a moment, but it was very much expository, word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a book. And that really appealed to me. And I found out that I was a premillennial dispensational, you know, I didn't always know the terminology, but I knew what I believed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I became what so many Bible students become. And, and to our Bible students that listen, we love you. Like you, you are, you're doing a tremendous you know, thing in studying Amen. the word. So, Amen. but Bible students can be the worst. Because you get, <laughs> you get, <laughs> that's why I wanted to set that up. All right. We love you guys. However, so many of us as Bible students, we learn a little bit 
and then we run with it. Yeah. And then it takes us five or 10 years to realize yeah. and to assimilate yeah. all of that. And Knowledge so up. I picked up stuff about expositional preaching. I got excited about it. I became an adherent of it and I would teach others to do the same. But I've come to realize that there's more to it and and there are different styles of preachers. And that's why I think it's good for us to, you know, to look at term you know, definitions in a moment. But you know, God has used a lot of different men in a lot of different ways. And I think we need to be very gracious in what we say is the right way to preach. All right, let's define the terms then. And Tom, you've been quiet, so I'll pick on you first, maybe. Oh, um, great. This is going to be awful. <laughs> he is if, the if wisest are, among us. How many, how many, are, yes, amen. How many um, categories do you think of as far as preaching goes? Do you think in terms of preaching and what do they mean? Does that make sense? Is that a, is well, that I mean, a question you can understand? There's preaching class answers, you know, homiletics class answers to that, where you parse out sermons, there's biographical, there's topical, there's textual, there's, you know, expository, there's holiday or thematic or subject. Um, for me, what helps me is my preaching sort of lands in three different categories. And when I say my preaching, I mean my pastoring preaching. So Sunday morning for me is topical. And what I mean by topical is every Sunday morning is not usually connected to the previous Sunday morning or the following Sunday morning. It's a subject that I want to I want to discuss from the Word of God. I want to present from the Word of God. Sunday night is usually, this is not hard and fast, but Sunday night for me, I'm working my way through a passage of Scripture, not necessarily a book, but like, okay, so my first book that I wrote was from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So I started at the beginning of Matthew 5 and finished 32 weeks later, 34 weeks later at the end of chapter 7. Um, but that's that's going verse by verse, line by line, and there's lots of reasons that's commendable. Usually Wednesday nights for me, I'm discussing a subject or an idea um, where I'm taking a, almost like a very extended word study of faith or of grace or something of that nature um, or a subject in the Word of God. And, and all of those, I think, are valid, and all of them have benefits and helps. And I think I would do a disservice to my church if I boxed out any one of those. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. And I'm, yes. Not yeah, sure you're, you're to... I'm not sure that's you... the answer that Martin is looking for in the sense of a definition, but that's how I how I view it and how I process it and how I've yeah. come to to categorize it, so to speak. And Steve, you know, I want to go to you next, but I think it's fine to to qualify the statements and then kind of discuss where you're at with with how you approach your different services and stuff. Why don't you do that for us? Well, I I look at all preaching as expository preaching in the sense that exposit's taking it from the Word of God. So to me, I would define expository preaching as you're taking a text within this context. You're preaching, you know, and, and you can do that and not be preaching through a book. I think it is good as a pastor then to preach through a book, to take your church through you know, what the author was doing with that book and then applying it. And then a topical sermon would then be, in a sense, a lot more work because you're you're talking about a topic that then you're taking texts within their context and using them and then ab- applying them toward that context. And then textual preaching is one of those, I've heard it defined many different ways. To me, textual pre- preaching is taking part of an expository sermon. Like, let's say I, I let's say I outlined and exposited 10 verses and I have three points. And under each of those points, I have two or three points to me. Textual then is taking one of those sub points 
and the truth of that within the context of that passage, and I might not exposit the whole passage, but I'm I'm doing justice to that text, that phrase, and you're driving home that one reality and that one truth. I, I do think that opens up sometimes for um, more of a, 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 you know, getting too loose on the way you're using it. See, I understand textual differently. See, how you just described it is how I would describe topical almost. To me, textual is the underlying philosophy of all of preaching. It has to come from the text. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? To me, textual no, is I a, don't. Um, to, to me, textual describes every every sermon I preach should be a biblical sermon, not my words, not my thoughts, not my philosophy, not my spiritualizing. It should be, here is what God had to say in the text, whether I'm doing that expositorily, verse by verse, or I'm doing it topically in a particular Sunday morning message, or I'm doing it with an extended series on suffering. It needs to be driven by what God had to say in that text I'm talking about. That's how I view it. Martin? Yeah, and I think I would go back um, kind of one more step, and I think you— you need to look at the hermeneutic. So what is what is your system for interpreting the Bible? And then I think you get into exegesis and eisegesis. If you start with a good hermeneutic and you exegete the scripture mm-hmm. and you draw out the truth, then whether you preach, you know, a what's considered a topical message or whether it is a, you know, a systematic verse by verse look through a book. Um, whether it's biographical or whatever the, the ultimate result, if you have drawn the truth out of the text, then that is going to be a biblical message. However, you know, you can preach verse by verse, word through word, you know, word by word, chapter by chapter, yeah. all the way through a book. But if you use eisegesis, you read a truth into the text, then right. you're going to be preaching the wrong kind of message. And so I think this is where very often the conversation goes awry. It's not expository verses. Um, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say there's a a famous preacher that wrote a book I'm preaching. I don't agree with it at all, but it's basically get an idea of where your church needs to head. Think on that idea. Think on that idea. Write ideas about that idea and then find a text in scripture that teaches that idea. And I think that gets to be very, very yeah. dangerous, you know, and, and, I, you know, I, I think it's not a good idea to get overly critical about preaching, but I do think it is wise, especially as pastors to be very, you know, discerning. And I do think that one idea preaching does lend itself to skyscraper preaching, you know, what's a skyscraper, one story on top of another. And I don't <laughs> think ultimately that helps people unless it is really the, you know, the, the truth is getting down to the heart of the issue. So going back to Martin, Martin, how do you structure your week of preaching? I know you preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You also preach school chapels. Do you have a specific approach or a different approach for each service? Or are you just going the same approach with each service? Well, I tend to favor going through a whole book and, and I'll be open to you know, changing that when I, I feel like I need to, if I'm not excited about the subject and I feel like I need to step away from it to, to give myself a fresh approach or the congregation, I'll do that. Um, but generally I'll, I'll pray and then I'll, you know, start into a book. And so right now, Sunday mornings, I'm going through the book of Acts and mm-hmm. Sunday evenings, I'm going through the book of Joshua 
um, Wednesdays, I'm going through Psalm 119. But what I will do, and this is something, I think this is something I picked up from Josh Tice, um, you know, sometimes looking for a natural break in the book. Because, again, I wouldn't say this is um, a hard and fast rule, but I sometimes wonder if a congregation has been going through, like Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's famous for taking, what, 17 years to go through the Book of Romans. How many people started out that series and were still alive when they finished that series? I mean, (laughs) and and who was able to keep the connection between Chapter 1 and Chapter 16? So... You know, if, if I feel like a sermon series is going too long, I may look for a natural break and, you know, put a mini series in there. And I kind of just mm-hmm. did that with the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts. I'm about 26 messages into it. And I'm in chapter, just finished chapter 11. And I ended up doing like a mini series on what is the church, what is a Christian um, over about three or four messages. So we kind of broke up the routine. And then I, I kept going and I'll bring in a topical message if I feel like it's relevant um, or needed. But generally, I try and find a book and then preach it verse by verse, beginning to end. Yeah, I think and I had an older preacher tell me this once. I don't always follow this because right now I'm preaching through John Sunday morning and First Corinthians Sunday nights. But is, you know, be preaching through a book in one of your preaching opportunities And then he would say, leave one service where God shows you something in your devotions. He's working on your heart about something. And then another, you know, if you have three preaching slots, then the other one, save that for some mini series, you know, all throughout the Bible, there's, I mean, you could preach on the four types of soil, a mini series, you could preach on the fruits of the spirit, the, the virtues in second Peter. I mean, all throughout the Bible, there's, there's a little four to six week things that we can, you know, turn into a mini series that would be a blessing to people. Well, that's what I was going to say when it came to me is that's what I try to do. Um, And I learned that from um, Brother Mike Mutchler, actually, just by listening to some of his preaching is that he would do a month long mini series. It it may be three, it may be four sermons. Um, He may leave himself a Sunday to to preach textually um, another, you know, a sermon on something that the church does need at that time. Um, but I like that idea. Like for instance, right now I'm, I'm basically working my way throughout this year where probably six out of the 12 months, I'll be dealing with a subset of the subject of grace. Our theme is growing in grace. And so right now we're laying the foundation and in that, um, you know, eventually after we get the definition and everything all settled and all that, uh, in that I'm going to, um, then preach on, you know, the grace to suffer uh, for Christ and, mm-hmm. and the grace to, to take a stand because all of those things are, are very scriptural. Of course, grace is a very broad subject, so I'm excited to be able to go through it. And it's going to be an expository textual approach, but it's going to be a topical feel. And I'll do those things, Lord willing, uh, two or th- I may deal with the subject of suffering for four weeks. And then on Sunday nights right now, and I don't, I'll be honest, my Sunday nights are not as well planned out as far as in the future as uh, others, but on Sunday nights right now, because our theme is Second Peter three eighteen, growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I'm just preaching through Second Peter on the knowledge of God, because that's all throughout that book. And I told our people, I said, guys, this you, I don't even know if I should be paid for this. This preaches itself. You know why? Because it is expository. And now, don't get me wrong. I actually put a lot of lot of study. I, I try to study every word in that book right now. It's so fascinating to me, and and it's been very very. Um, helpful to me personally, and I, I hope to our church. 
Wednesday nights, I usually do a book study. So I started that at the beginning of my pastorate because I knew I needed to get grounded in preaching verse by verse. And that wasn't something that I was raised under. No, no disrespect to obviously my grandfather. And that just wasn't his style and approach. And, and really, I shouldn't say that because there were times he went verse by verse through things. So that's, that's not even accurate to say it that way. But I knew I needed for myself as a young man to start in that and to begin to build systematically through the scriptures. And so I've preached through James. I've preached through Romans. I've preached through Acts. Um, last year was Ephesians. I think maybe the most helpful book study we've done for our church so far. Um, we're in Hosea right now. That will not take me all year. Uh, that one is, wow. I love Hosea. Oh, I love it it's too, but it's so hard story. to organize. Yeah. I mean, it's basically mm-hmm. two points. <laughs> I've preached through um, two of the minor prophets and I had to rearrange them, which sounds awful. But I, and I preached them expositorily. I preached every verse, but I okay. moved them around. Okay. That's how it helped me do it. Yeah, like uh, one of the things poetic. that I just think it, it's good to be really careful to say that you know God uses different kinds of styles and men. Amen. And Amen. Mm-hmm. I, my and I don't want to move the conversation on before we're ready, but you know Steve alluded to this earlier. Um, Steve Brednack is uh, you know who I'm referring to. We need to introduce ourselves again, maybe sometime because <laughs> I sound different. Yeah, you guys yeah. all sound Using the same. Each you just all sound American. Like, yeah, yeah. You're but, easy uh, to talk. Or, uh, Anyway, so Steve Brednack of Living United Ministries, um, he spoke about the fact, you know, there's kind of an overemphasis on a certain style of preaching. And it sometimes gives the impression that if you don't preach a certain way, and, you know, John MacArthur tends to be one of the the examples of that style of preaching, and there, there are others, but they say, if you don't preach like that, well, then you're wrong. And, you know, I look back to some of the the men that God has used greatly in my own life and in the past. I mean, you look at, you know, some of the evangelists like Gypsy Smith and, and D.R. Moody, not so much. I think he, you know, he, he certainly wasn't a John MacArthur in his preaching style, but he preached, definitely preached a word. And I think we're making an idol of a Amen. Amen. certain system. On either and side, because when not, I was growing up, right. when I was coming up, I had, I had, I heard sermon after sermon against expository preaching and yep. topical preaching was the idol, and now the pendulum has shifted, and expository preaching is – and you use the word idol, that's your word. It's a strong word, but I like it to under to explain what we're trying to, to say here, which is any one of those, you can make the be-all and end-all unfairly and unscripturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, I come from a perspective, and you and I are very similar age, but – that was never. It blows my mind that people would preach against expository preaching. Well, so I think I, I don't I, think a pendulum has shifted. I just think you've maybe seen differently. But well, let, I think let, that, let me, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead because well, I'm going to go a different the, route. The reason behind it was was the idea that sometimes expository preaching can be very academic. It can be very dry. Mm. Um, you can weary people by staying in one place, and then there's the danger you already alluded to, which is an enormous one about no application. Mm-hmm. So I I think that was the concern of the, the the thought process. If the way it was explained to me was, if you have a medicine cabinet and you go through the medicine cabinet, you just give someone you know whatever bottle of medicine is next. How does that really mm-hmm. help them with whatever their their problem is? But again, I. I think that itself was an unbalanced view. Yeah. And I look at it this way. I think everybody in their life and ministry at a different stage in their life, they kind of are awoken to the fact that 
people are critical of what preachers say. You know, as a kid, (laughs) I looked up to my preacher and it just blew my mind. But for me, it came in Bible college and in a class we called Preacher Boys class. It was called Practical Theology, technically, but it was basically our college president with all the young men that had been called to preach. And sometimes he would, you know, not speak super favorably about maybe something we heard in chapel or he would refer to preaching. And Martin already alluded to the fact that in Bible colleges, you can you can get this where you're picking apart yeah. everything. And I yeah. I heard something when I was young in a preaching workshop once from a preacher that I highly respect. And it's helped me. And that's this, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And we all come from different backgrounds. We've all had different influences. We've all had different opportunities for education. Right. And when I'm listening to someone preach, I, I'm going to give them some liberty and understand they might not have had you know, the opportunity, right. this is a That's bit good. of a joke, but to have an accredited degree, you know, I, I always joke oh, about that, but man. you know, yeah, yeah, but whatever, but, uh, but you know, people have different experiences and yeah. I might not preach it that way and it might not, be, but God can still Amen. use it. Amen. Amen. You know, if you, you don't violate ever the word of God and you don't treat the word of God like you shouldn't, but Again, to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. As God right. has given you opportunity and gifted you, use that. And then when you're sitting under preaching, you know, there is a point, especially as preachers, you're gonna you're gonna have to be somewhat critical. In other words, discerning would be maybe a better word, but don't just throw everything out, you know. Amen. Let God work Amen. in your heart. Steve, I appreciate that point you made. And that that kind of tends to be where I want to give people grace, right? Because uh, people ask me when I started preaching. And I said, well, actually, um, our our church uh, uh, acquired a radio ministry, uh, bought a radio station. My actually, actually, my grandfather bought it because it was his passion. That's actually what brought him to Evansville was um, was radio. And so, back in I think 2004, he purchases the radio station. The church becomes involved. We get all this going. And he told me, he said, hey, you're going to do a radio broadcast. Well, if you know my grandfather, you do what he says. That's just the kind of way we were raised. You know, I'm talking family here. And I'm like, uh, okay, you know, and I was called to preach at, at the age of 12 and I, I knew that's what God wanted me to do. So he said, yeah, 30 minutes a, a day, Monday through Friday. And I'm like, what? well, I didn't know what it meant to be a disc jockey. I didn't know that I could introduce songs. I could read quotes. I could tell jokes. I could do, I thought he meant you have to preach for 30 minutes a day. So this is where <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to rat myself out here, but until I'd love to hear some of those. Oh, no, no. Listen, (laughs) I have, I actually, guys, I have them on CD. I have almost all of my radio broadcasts. I need to burn those. Can we give those the bad sermon clips? No, no. And here's why. Here's why they weren't as bad as they could have been is because, well, either that or here's why they were as bad as they were. Um, I would go to camp in the summer and I would go to youth conferences and I would take notes and I would rip sermons off from every preacher I heard. We call and it that's preaching. How I learned. You, is there something wrong with that? Because if so, we're all. Uh, oh yeah, plagiarism like, hey, before I, it was wanna, cool. Yeah, I want to confess right now. That way, it's just out <laughs> in the open, and there's no question. Yes, absolutely. But you know, though, let me just bring that around to something that was really cool for me. Is I had a, a man in my life, Dave Knopfinger, and he he pastored about two hours from here when I was 16. He said, "You're called to preach." I go, yeah. He said, you drive over to my church on a Wednesday night and just show up. I'll let you preach. And you know what? I never did that, but it meant so much. 
he gave me sermon outlines. He said, here's all my files. Here's Word documents. Take them, preach them. I don't care. Don't give me credit. And as a young man, he said to do that. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know any mm. better about how the conversation would go now. Man, I studied preachers preaching and that's how I learned to preach. That's good. I think that's a great thing that he did, whether you preach there or not. I, I think there's right. a ministry that churches need to cultivate. You used the word a minute ago, Brother Brudnack, discerning. But there's a ministry that churches need to cultivate of ministering to young preachers, letting them preach, which means the sermons are going to be bad. You know, the, the application is going to be bad. Yeah. But you've got to give them room to grow. And there's, mm-hmm. and of course, they need to be mentored and trained and not all that. But I think there's a, without being harsh on them, they got to have room to grow. And, you know, I would respond, there, there's criticism over what you just said. And I don't agree with the criticism, but it would be preaching so important and the word of God is so precious why put it in a kid's hands? But you hit on something. You let the church know. And preaching isn't a science. It's an art, but it's also got the science. And by science, I mean, you should ex- you should look at the word of God accurately. It's like there is a wrong way to do it, but you you got to grow in the art of it and the the learning of putting thoughts together, illustrating stuff. So I'm all for young men preaching, but put it within its context. Don't treat it like you know, this is this guy's 16 and he's going to, you know, s- deliver us from all our ills. Unless you're Charles Spurgeon, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that kind of leads me back to something that was said earlier, and it's a pet peeve of mine. And again, it's not something I would break fellowship over, but I really do not like the terminology preacher boy. If you're going <laughs> to preach, you're a man. If you're 15 years old and you're preaching, well, then you better be a man. You know, yeah. the, and then you get some like 22 year old college students coming through and you call them preacher boys. No, man up, you know, call them, you know, that they've got to be men. And it's not an age thing. It's a maturity thing. But anyway, that's I, I think that's a, I think that may be a bit of a cultural thing. I mean, so one, one of my friends is Joe. That's, Arthur. that's way too kind of a statement, Brother Ross. That's just let, what let me just say. OK, <laughs> Joe Arthur would tell you that Billy Kelly trained him to preach and he would do that. But he, he'd take all his preacher boys with him and he would say, all right, you're preaching for. 10 minutes. And he tells, he tells this story of all the preacher boys were told that they're going to preach, you know, you get 10 minutes at camp meeting tomorrow. And that's a totally different maybe circuit than we're familiar with, at least by experience. But that's how they did it. And he said, me and a couple other guys, like actually he named some names that are well-known preachers now. Um, he said, a couple other guys, we said, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. He goes, Psh. he goes, I'm, we're preachers. If we're not allowed to preach, we're not preaching for 10 minutes. And he said Billy Kelly walked up to him afterwards after they kind of expressed their their desire not to preach for 10 minutes. And he said, whose idea was it to not preach? And they're like, uh, and he goes, it was my idea to give you 10 minutes. You know, and so it was it's kind of neat. But but you have to have something. And Steve and Tom both commented on it. And I, just from my experience, because I did start young in this. And in that sense, I'm glad somebody said Hey, you can come and you can be in my pulpit. And he had trained his church in order to be able to receive that. And God helped these bad sermon clips people if they put young guys like that out there and hang them out to dry because we're nobody's perfect at 20 for sure. All right. I just want to jump in here quick and then I'll let I, I know Martin's got something to say, but I'm with you, Martin, on the whole preacher boy thing, but it works. It it it's <laughs> pragmatic. I, I don't like oh. it. So give us an alternative and I'll go with it. It's his oh, no, no, reference. I believe you should have young people preach. You should right, give them I'm opportunity. The I don't like. I don't like the term either. I, I want a new term. Give us a new term. That, well, they're a man or they're not. If they're not a man, they don't preach. Now, if they're a 15 year old young man, call him a young man. You know. You know. But don't okay, the, the whole enough. 
concept of a, it's just it, like I said, it's a pet peeve. It's not a an issue of separation, and you know. But I, I think that does something to lower the the expectation. But anyway, no, I think you should, and I have routinely throughout my ministry looked for young men to give them the opportunity to serve. Yeah, let, let's kick it to a, a different thought here and get get everybody's um, thoughts on this. What are some things that you guys do? Uh, that help you connect, and I'm talking mainly in a delivery way. You know, you're thinking how how could how to connect with uh, with the congregation. Uh, what are some maybe some disciplines that you have in your preaching to help you with that? I can start, and this is something I've had to learn because you know my journey went from very much a topical style, even though it was good exegesis, to a very expositional style. Um, I went from uh, you know, my, my pastor, Tom Dotson, to my pastor in Bible school, which is David Moore. And if you look up David Moore's sermons online, I still think he's one of the most outstanding preachers that you can find. So David Moore, he's he's from Northern Ireland, um, tremendous preacher. And so what I've had to learn is, is how to kind of bring things together. And in my notes, what I started doing is put in, you know, point application. You know, and and like you mm-hmm. kind of said earlier, Stephen, stopping and asking myself, what is the point? And mm-hmm. and there are some points that are just foundational. They become a part of your your being. There's not an immediate, okay, Monday morning you do this. But in my notes to kind of force myself, I put point application. You know, how are they going to put this into action? And that kind of helps me bring it to where people can use it. Yeah. I, I viewed your question as connection in a different way in the sense of how do I connect with the audience or with the congregation? I look them in the eye. Yep. And if there's yep. people who are not listening, if they're not laughing when I'm laughing or crying when I'm crying, so to speak, if they're not if they're not following me, me emotionally, then they're not following me logically. And they become a challenge to me personally. I, I take those, you know, those sullen teenagers, I take those you know, mission guys. I I take the, the those those guests who are in a Baptist church for the first time. I take it personally. I want to get them in with me, and so I, I will. I heard it phrased this way: You preach to the back row. When you preach to the back yeah. row, you get everybody in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I I there are some guys they get up and they preach and they ignore the congregation. My father was one of those. My father pastored for thirty eight years. In his mind, you just preached, and and the reaction or non reaction didn't matter. And when I say reaction, I don't mean audible like a bunch of amens. But for me, I'm different than my dad in this respect. I want to feel like the people are with me. And if they're not, Engagement. I will I will adjust what I'm saying and preaching as the Lord leads me to get them with me so that I can get them where I want them to go at the end of the message. Yeah, I think something I naturally find myself doing, and I have to guard myself, otherwise I let it go too far, is I humor is something that's very natural to me. Believe it yeah, or not, yeah. really, um, sarcasm. And, yeah, I know. You just <laughs> oh, you meant sarcasm. Okay, gotcha. No, yeah. no, 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 humor, humor. <laughs> oh, no, okay. Is I that when like... you plagiarize my jokes, uh, Steve? You should never accuse Martin of plagiarizing you. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I was actually I have that written down, Martin, because my favorite type of humor is not joke telling. I'm a terrible joke teller, mm-hmm. um, but observational humor can be really yeah. cool. And and that's what I will I'll do and. I feel like it connects you to the people. You tell something they can relate to. And I think when you have laughed with someone, then you, you make a connection. Now, I don't just tell a funny story for the sake of telling a funny story. It's a part of 
what I'm preaching. And there's an older generation I know, they, they talk about preacher stories. And there's one older gentleman here in this area that I love dearly. He was, he's, he's been a great friend to me here. Um, and he'll get up and he'll say, okay, well, here's my preacher story. And he'll just tell like a 30 second, one minute story. And then he gets into the message. Um, but I think humor can be a great way to break down barriers and connect with people. If it's done correctly, you don't want to turn into a stand up comedian. Um, mm-hmm. and that could right. be a danger. Well, I think that's and where, I, I think that's the, where, I'm sorry, Steve, go ahead. I think a key to connecting is what, one of the things that I learned in, in being trained in preaching is when what I'm preaching has impacted me, you know, and I'll be transparent. Not every sermon that I preach really connected and transformed me. It's I'm working through a text and, I think I'm giving some truth and I think it can impact someone's life. But Mm -hmm. to me, the most connecting messages are those ones that, man, this hit me. I, this grasped me. I I had truth unfold before my eyes as I was studying it. And I get to, I get to share that, you know, and you guys preach too. And you may have had this too. I've had that before in my study with the message. And then when I go to preach it, I can't connect that what happened to me doesn't come out of my mouth and that's frustrating. But to me, the most dynamic, interesting preaching when I preach is when, man, it's hit me. And then I communicate that in my message. And then I think, you know, God's used that to me. That's, that's that line of Liberty and preaching where it's just fun. Amen. Martin. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, um, you know, Steve said about sometimes you get something and you find it hard to, you know, convey that. And I think sometimes when that happens to me is when I've tried to give someone else what God intended for me. Uh, And I think that can be hard as a preacher sometimes in your preparation. You know, what is God doing to prepare the man? And what of that preparation do you put into the message? Um, And and that reminds me of something I was going to say earlier. You know, one of the earliest lessons I remember being taught by my pastor and then my pastor at Bible college um, is that a prepared man is better than a prepared message. And I think that's mm. something a lot of uh, young people need to need to learn. Amen. Yeah. Um, you know, along those lines, Steve, you were talking, I don't necessarily want to take this down the lines of what are our greatest struggles in preaching, but when I know I have connected really well on one Sunday morning, especially I talked about doing mini series. So sometimes the first sermon out of the gate is it connects really good. And the hardest thing for me to do is to come back and preach the second week because I feel like every time that I go in and I do a good job one week, the next week is automatically like a, I mean, I lay an egg. I don't know why that is, but it's just so typical with me. I did it again just recently and and it I've come to expect it almost. That never happens yeah, I, to me. I have a theory honestly. on that. that <laughs> it has to do with pride and humility. Yeah. I think when we have so. a good one, we come back and it's like. I'm never you know, proud. It, I, I've had those sermons where it's like in the middle of the sermon, I'm thinking, this is so boring. I wish it would end. Right. <laughs> Maybe you guys. Yeah. Hey, and can I've I offer there, some counsel? Like, when that happens, bad. when that happens, probably just end it. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> That was something else I remember being taught, you know, the summary of how to preach is stand up, speak out, shut up, sit down. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about things that, that help us connect in our, in our preaching and, you know, observational humor, eye contact's a big one. Um, I try to use appropriately the names of some people in the congregation while I'm preaching. Like I may say, brother, so-and-so, you know, this is true. And 
And then I try to talk with endearing terminology about my family. Um, I try to be careful. And as my kids get older, I've got to be more careful about telling on them, you know, and that kind of thing. But I wanted to get to this before we end. And I think our time is kind of coming to a close. One of the best ways to connect with your audience is none of those things, but it's what Steve brought up early in the podcast. And that is preaching and making application. And I think that it's so important. I think it's actually an important thing to bring up and to spend some time on. And, and Martin, you also said it, you know, point of application right there. Well, here's why that's important, because preaching that is applicable is powerful. And it's not in the preacher. But I mean, think about Stephen's sermon in the New Testament. They didn't get angry at him until he said, you crucified him. When he made personal application to the people, that was what got the whole thing going. Now, one of our independent Baptist pastors who kind of wrote the book on expository preaching is Sam Davison. And while I didn't go to his college, um, I learned a lot from him. I grew up around his preaching and all that. And I remember hearing him say in a lecture on preaching, he said, listen, when a lot of times he said, young guys are using the term we too much and they're using it to soften the, the kind of the application. He said, look, you know, don't be afraid to say you. He said, mm-hmm. that's Amen. when you make application. And I remember a young guy raised his hand and said, so when would it be appropriate to use we? He should not have asked that question because Brother Davison just looked at him. He's an old cowboy preacher, you know, I mean, he, he's expository, but he said, when it's appropriate to use we, use we. When it's appropriate to use you, say you. And it was just so funny. Everybody everybody died, died laughing, but that helped me that day. And I think, you know, we're going to be drawing things to a close here in a minute, but, you know, this may be something we have to return to because I think there's so much that we can say yeah. about how do we prepare to preach a message? What's our starting point? Um, you know, prayer in preparation for a sermon and praying right. afterwards. Um uh, you know, how do we, you know, there's so much more around this subject that I think it would be good to talk about and how to listen to a sermon and get the most out of it. There's, mm-hmm. again, so much more that I think we need to return to at some point. So if we didn't cover something, let us know. We'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. And especially that, like, if people have made it this far that are not pastors, and I hope you did, because understanding a pastor's heart and the way he looks at preaching um, certainly would be helpful, but I, I think the way to listen is definitely something that would need to, to be explored. Yeah. Any further thoughts from you, Tom? Application for me, <clears throat> I start with what has the Lord done in my heart about that text? Yeah. I'm a person, the people I'm preaching to are people. I've pastored in the country, in the city, um, you know, in different, I've pastored multi-ethnic churches, you know, churches that are not that way, but people are people. What is God doing in that text in my heart? What am I convicted about? And then I take that to where they live. I live where they live. You know, if if I'm convicted about my relationship with my children as a result of this message or my lack of soul winning or my lack of prayer or my bitterness or my my need for forgiveness to, to learn to forgive, um, I, I, I'll go that direction with it. Amen. Yeah. And I think, Brother Russ, what you were talking about, Brother Davison, and I have the utmost respect for him. He is a great expositor, great man of God. He's one of the most genuine, real guys in private conversations you'd ever talk to. I, I love him to death. And what he's ultimately getting across there is as a preacher, you, you got to preach, thus saith the Lord. And I think that hyper expository mentality that I talked about earlier that kind of robs you of the opportunity to to apply um, 
I, I think it's awful because it takes away as a preacher, you preach thus saith the Lord. And this actually ties into an earlier podcast about, it, you know, soul liberty and that word preference. It's like between me and God in, in, in areas of my life, I have a black and white line. And I think in my mind, God draws his line here and I see it that way. And then as a pastor, I teach my church. I, I'm preaching my line. I'm preaching God said this, this is, you know, and I'm applying it that way, but I'm going to, they know they have the liberty to, to apply it differently. And I'm going to give them that spectrum, spectrum of grace, but to just, every time you preach, you're giving the smorgasbord and, you know, Martin, you had a recent Twitter conversation that I kind of followed where it was like, the guy didn't even want to say you could apply one of the 10 commandments. And it's like, what? when does ever the word of God have authority in your life? And if in, <laughs> if in preaching the word of God isn't our authority, then, then, then we've really just yeah. weakened what we are as preachers. Yeah, preaching we're taking the teeth out of preaching. Preaching, Sorry, demands, on. preaching demands a verdict. Yes. If it's not, you're just giving information. You, you, what, you've got to be calling people to do something. I mean, that's what you see pictured in the in the prophets. That's what you see pictured in the apostolic preaching and Jesus' ministry. You know, here's here's what God says. Now, what are you going to do about it? Mm. I think Amen. one of my teachers, the pastor, the one I mentioned before, David Moore, um, I'm pretty sure it's him. If it's not, hope you forgive me. But he said something along the lines that, you know, that the word sermon comes from a root, a root word to stab. You know, so there's there is that kind of point of application. Amen. Steve, you've been excellent in this. I think all of us have had good things to say, but I've appreciated a lot of what you said. Would you mind on this episode to uh, write the letter and close us out? Will do. Dear church, preaching should be from and filled with the word of God. Preachers have no authority apart from the word of God. Preachers have the responsibility to be true to the text of scripture so they can declare, thus saith the Lord. It's not that he never interjects something to illustrate biblical truth, but the main thrust of preaching is, what does the text say? It may be one text that is exposited or many texts dealing with the same topic, but it is the text of scripture that does the preaching. As we listen to biblical preaching, we have the responsibility to respond if we neglect biblical preaching, we are neglecting the word of God. That's no small thing. Listen as though God is speaking, for if the preacher delivers a message from God's word, it is most certainly God that's speaking. A good preacher will help you apply the word of God in your life to today. If you don't apply God's preached word, you are just a hearer of the word and not a doer. God warns against such thinking. Hebrews 4.2 says, But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Preaching is awesome, but if you never live it out, even preaching has no profit for you. So take in preaching. Get all of it you can. Be in every preaching service your church has. It will help you as you listen, and it will help you as you make life-changing application with aid of the Holy Spirit. We all need biblical preaching in our lives. His servants and yours, Steve, Tom, Martin, and Stephen. Stephen.